Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Praise the Lord. Now, this morning I've got a very uh, interesting word. I have not heard this preach. I, w- I would say ever before in my Christian life, even though we know that this is a subject that we want to know more, we learn, uh, we have read, we have struggled with, but there is very little teaching, if I could say, on the subject of overcoming temptations. Overcoming temptations. And I just felt the Lord says that in 21.6, He wants us to live a victorious, overcoming life. And an area that we must have understanding of is temptations. I want to share with us reasons why we go through temptations, but also four principles for victory. Reasons why we go through temptations and four principles for victory. And the reason for that is I believe God wants all of us to be victorious. So I want to uh, address this taboo subject because, friends, when I came to know Christ, I thought that I'll have no more temptations. I thought that life would just be one victory over another. But the number of times I've stumbled and fall in the last 15 years, 20 years of walking with the Lord, and I can't count with the number of fingers and, my, and toes. So we face temptations. We, and sometimes we stumble and we fall. I remember uh, I was 15 years old, and um, I was a believer then, six months into my faith, and I, I got hold of a master key to the office in my school. It was around October and it was uh, exams time. There are teachers here, right? So in those days, we called it common room. So I got hold of the master key and the key actually opens up every door in the school, every lock in the school. So it was after school hours, no more teacher in the, in the common room. And I thought to myself, I wonder will this key worked. And so I went to the common room, I tried to use the master key, and the lock opens. And I know that behind those gates were exams questions. Were exams questions. And at that moment, in spite of how spiritual I was and how, uh, how much I want to please God, I realized that there was te- a temptation. I could walk in there, look at the questions, walk out. No one knows. And that was faced with a, with a choice, and I said, should I? Should I not? No one knows. Of course, I put it back. Too much fear. I walked away and I didn't know the exams questions. But full disclosure, I was tempted at 15 years old. And subsequently, you know with the advent of the internet and you can have, you can have access to all kinds of websites from pornographic websites to you know, all kinds of websites and there are temptations and there are often times and lots of times that I stumble and fall. So I want to just address this taboo subject of temptations, not uh, so that we can be sin conscious, but so that we can understand how it works and that all of us can live a victorious life. The Lord showed me a vision as a young Christian that it's not the number of times you stumble, uh, but it's the number of times you pick yourself up after you stumble and keep on walking that straight and narrow path that will decide our destination in our Christian life. Amen? And so I pray that 
regardless of where you're at in your Christian life, we'll always be picking ourselves up, we'll always be advancing uh, spiritually and that we can then present ourselves faultless and blameless before God. So three reasons why we go through temptations. Reason number one, if you're taking down notes, these are all great study, great notes. Number one, so that we might know the reality of sin. So that we might know the reality of sin. It's for this reason that Jesus Christ came. If there is no sin in the world, then there is no need for a Savior. But because of the power of sin, that's why God the Father sent the Son. Because leave to ourselves, we cannot overcome sin in our own strength. And so God sent the Son to confront sin, to overcome sin, so that now through the work of the cross, we can live victorious. But we might know the reality of sin. We need to understand, church, that temptation is not the same as sin. Are you with me? Being tempted doesn't mean that we have sin. The devil wants us to think that being tempted means that we have sin, but the truth is being tempted is not the same as sin. Temptation is thinking about considering sin. It's not sin. And we all go through temptation. We don't have a choice about that. But we do have a choice, though, about sinning. Are you with me? The Bible says even Jesus himself, the perfect son of man, son of God, was tempted, yet he never sinned. But his temptations were as real as yours. Amen? His temptations were as real as mine and yours. And one important reason why we go through sin is to remind us that we live in a fallen world that... This is not heaven, this is earth, and the presence of sin is in the world. And the Apostle Paul actually admitted that he struggled with his actions all the time when he wrote in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. So this is, this is the Apostle Paul, the church planter, the leader of the early church, shared with us his struggles that even as a person, he doesn't know, he didn't know, why I don't, don't know what I'm, why I don't do what I want to do, but I kept on doing what I hate. So the Apostle Paul understood the struggle and the struggle is really very real. The second point, the reason why we go through temptations is that so that I might know my need for God's strength. So that I might know my need for God's strength. Once we've fallen to temptation umpteen times, we finally come to the place where we know that we cannot live this Christian life in this sinful world on our own strength. Somebody say amen. We just don't have the willpower. We don't have the strength to face our everyday. Amen. We need God. And that's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, the Bible tells us, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide you a way out so that you can endure it. It's on the screen. It's a great verse. Two things we learn from these verses. First thing is He tells us that there is no new temptations. So I want to... Just say this to all of us here. No matter what you are going through in life, whether it's 
the temptation to have more things, the temptation of the flesh, the temptations to watch certain things, the temptations to accumulate more wealth at the expense of your neighbors. No temptation. The, the temptation to prove yourself. There is no new temptations. All of us face the same temptations. But the second thing in these verses is this. More, and the more important thing is that God is faithful. There are no new temptations, but God is faithful. What, what do I mean? What I'm saying is this, the temptation we experience is within our power to overcome it with God's help. Amen? I want to say that there is no such thing as the devil made me do it. Don't put the blame on the devil. No such thing. The devil made me do it. I'm, I'm helpless. I've got no strength. Come on, church. The devil can tempt you, but the devil can't twist your arm. Amen? No such thing. In every temptation, the Bible tells us God will also provide a way out. But I'm, but I'm saying this to all of us, but we have to look for it. We have to want the way out more than we want the way in. Hello? We have to want the way out. God, I want a way out. God, show me how. Is it to be accountable to someone, to call someone, to go into the shower, or to pour some cold water over my head? I want the way out. Or to, dis- or to throw away the computer, or to change your job, or to change your phone number. Whatever it is, do you want the way out? Because some of us, we prefer, we want a way in more than we want a way out. So looking for the way out is looking for God's escape plan, looking for God's strength, not relying solely on my own strength. And so the first reason is that I might know the reality of sin. The second reason is that I might know my need for God's strength. But the third reason, and this is really important, is so that I might know God's grace for me and others. That I might know God's grace for me and others. See friends, temptations and the result from temptation, either good, which means we rely on God's strength to find our way out, or bad, we don't understand what I do, and you stumble and fall. Either way, my friends, leads me to a grace-filled lifestyle. Either way, whether you stumble and fall, whether you overcome, it leads us to the grace-filled lifestyle. I feel that we have to bring a balance to our understanding of grace. It's not just the unmerited favor of God. It's also the divine empowerment we receive from God. When we fall, yes, He is faithful and just. He will forgive us. But that's just one side. On the other side of grace, which is, which, which is a higher level of grace, if I could say that, the Bible says to go from grace to grace. So the higher level of grace is that we depend on His divine enablement to live a victorious life. There's no value to grace if all we do is just, if all we understand of it is just one-sided. It's like if I give you a $1 coin, there's no value if only one side has got something on it. And that side is just, just, just like we need both sides of grace. Amen. So when we stumble and fall, pray us and there is forgiveness. But I believe God wants us to live a victorious life. And that's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is, this is not from yourself. It, it, it is a gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. 
See, one way of boasting is to see someone else's fault all the time, someone else's failure, and not to see our own need. And Jesus said another way. He says we're always looking at the log in someone else's eye. See, friends, we have got to understand that all of us here, regardless of how victorious you are, how weak you are, we are who we are by the grace of God. Amen? So three reasons why we are tempted. I've got so much notes. These guys did a great job, but I want to skip to the last section, four principles of victory. So knowing that we face temptations, knowing that this is part and parcel of life on earth. And the reason why we're tested is so that we can pass the test and so that we can be promoted. But how do we have victory? I believe there are four principles. And let's open your Bible. It's not on the screen to the temptations of Jesus. Luke chapter 3, first of all. Luke chapter 3. And I want to read verse 21 to verse 22, and then we go to Luke chapter 4. You got it in your Bible, whether it's in the phone or a written, printed a Bible. It says in verse 21, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And when Jesus was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, and the voice then said, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Next chapter please, chapter 4 and verse 1. Jesus then, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan where he was being tempted and was, uh, where, he was be, uh, where, he, where he was baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. At the end of them, he was hungry like all of us because he is fully man. Verse 3, The devil said to him then, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Verse 5, The devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and their splendor has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you will just worship me, it will all be yours. Verse 8, Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve Him only. Verse 9, The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, concerning you to guard you carefully they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone verse 12 Jesus answered it is said do not put the Lord your God to the test and the final verse when the devil had finished all this tempting he left him until an opportune time I believe in this story there are lots of lessons lots of principles we can learn when we are tempted what are the temptations like but I want to just zoom in on how we can have victory from temptations 
Amen. This is why we're here for. We want to be victorious. I don't want to glorify temptations. That's not my point for the sermon. I want to teach all of us how we can be victorious over temptations. Are you still with me? So the first principle of victory is we must understand sonship. We must understand sonship. Know who you are in Christ. We must understand sonship. Jesus became the son of man that we might become sons and daughters of God. Jesus was born of a virgin that we might be born again. So knowing who we are in Christ and being secure in our sonship is key to our victory. It's very key. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens were opened, the Spirit descended, and He heard a voice that affirmed who He is. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. His Sonship is who He is, His identity, even before a, a single miracle, even before He did anything else for 30 years of His life, all He did was, He was just a carpenter's son. He was making tables and chairs. He was involved in business. There was no ministry. There was no halo over his head. He hasn't walked on water yet. He was just a man like you and I. Yet, the Bible tells us, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I believe this morning it's important for us to know who we are. To be secure in our identity. And to live out from that identity. You know, for the longest time, I was trying to be somebody. I was trying to be a well-known youth pastor in Singapore. I thought that that's my identity. I grew the youth ministry. I you know, got invited to different consultation. I, I was the go-to person when it comes to how to grow a youth group. And so I thought that was my identity until we planted this church and no more. Then I thought, okay, I want to plant a big church, I want to start moving up the ranks from being a small startup to become a huge mega church and I'll be up there with the big boys. And so I thought I need to start striving and start looking for that identity that I'm so familiar with. And then I heard teachings by different people that there are many instructors and few fathers. And so I said, God, I want to be a father. God, I want to start fathering people. And there's this apostolic movement in those days. Number of churches we've planted, number of sons you have. And I looked at some of these teachers and preachers and they go around saying, oh, this is my spiritual son. Oh, that's my disciple. And so I said, wow, the more sons, the more disciple you have means that you're a father. And so I start looking at how I can expand the city. Look at Jakarta, look at Dubai, look at... And so I thought, that's the way forward. That's my identity. I want to be a father. And one encounter changed my whole life. I shared this with some of you before, but I want to share this with the rest of the, the church. Back in 50 Macpherson, I think it was the first or the second year of our church, and we had a speaker from New Zealand. His name is James Jordan, and he was speaking on uh, the Holy Spirit being the Spirit of, of uh, the Father. I thought it was a, an amazing word. And there was an altar call, and of course, people were crying and tearing, but it wasn't the message that really impacted me. It was before that. I loved the sermon. I was crying. I had my father heart encounter, but that's wonderful. I became secure in who I am. But what changed my paradigm? There was no falling down. There was no deep crying. It was after the pre-service prayer. We used to have pre-service prayer in those days. 
And uh, James was in the front seat. The hall looks a bit like that, if you remember, those people who were part of 50 Macpherson. I got off the stage, and I thought, this is the Father Heart guy, right? So I want to impress him, Father Heart guy. So I walked up to the Father Heart man, and I said, James, you know, for the longest time in my life, I want to be a father. And I thought he'll be really impressed. And I thought he would look at me and say, brother, that's the highest goal. And he looked at me like James Jordan would. He's just square face, nothing impressive. He's a New Zealander who lives in the mountains, loves you know, the nature. He looked at me and he said, my young brother. Exact words, huh? my young brother. He said, Jesus has never tried to be the father. I said, where is he going? And he said, all he did was to be the best son as he could be. And in being the son, he revealed the father. Hits me like a rocket. And he said, my spiritual dad, Jack Winter, has never tried to be our father. He says, all he did was to be the best son as he could be to, to the father. And in being the son, he became our father. I tell you, I was there. There was no music playing. There was no powerful ministry. I was just there. And that revelation just hit me like a ton of bricks. I didn't know what shifted, but that's when the Bible says you, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. There was no falling down, rolling, crying. It just hits me like a ton of bricks and I said, that's it. That's it. That is the goal of the Christian life. Knowing that you are a son of the living God whom the Father is well pleased. Not to go around adopting little children, be a father, be a leader of a movement. These are all the fruit of your identity. And that changed my whole life. Changed my whole life. It took years for it to be outworked from my life. But it changed my whole life. No longer was I trying to you know, build a big church. And of course, you know, you've got to unlearn and all that. But... It came to a place where I said, God, that's it. Buy sonship. And I pray that this will be a goal for all of us. That your identity is not in your vocation. It's not in the size of your impact or on how much money you've got in the bank. Your identity is founded on the word of God. You are a son of the living God. Amen. Jesus, I want to repeat that, became the son of man. So all of us can become sons and daughters of the Most High God. Come on, give God a praise offering. Just gets me excited. Woo! Amen. I want to be a son. And be the best son as I could be. So that in being the son, I can reveal who the Father is to those who I lead. Far from it. It's a work in progress. And that leads me to my second point. The second principle of victory is by submission. And this is a daily decision. In John 8, 29, this is what Jesus said, I do always those things that please the Father. I do always. I always do the things that please the Father. See, this is when Christ had a choice. Yes, we are sons and daughters, but every single day presents us opportunities for us to make the decision. Do I live a life that's well-pleasing before God or not? And Jesus chose every single moment. He said, I've come to do thy will, O Lord. 
Every single minute he says, I do those things which please my father. In fact, he says, I will not do anything that I don't see the father doing. His life was so one with God that whatever he said was what the father was speaking. Whatever he did was what the father was doing. I only do what I see the father does. And that's why he lived a life of total submission to God's will. Now, he knows who he is. So in spite of uh, that whether he lived a well-pleasing life, you know, he's still a son, of course. But my point is this. He went one step further and he lived a life that submitted to the lordship of his father. Are you with me? So questions, church, is the consuming desire of our hearts this morning to do God's will. Is that our consuming fire? Do you wake up in the morning and say, Father, I want to do your will. Every conversation, every deed, your resources, who, how do I steward them? I want to do your will. I want to do your will. Whether it's in business, in life, in school, God, I want to do your will. I want to live a life that's well-pleasing before you. Or are you just hoping to escape temptation and do your will? That's not the purpose of this message. The purpose is, guys, if you want before God we need to live a life of submission because victory is not for rebels hmm. and unless we have our knees bowed to the Lordship of Christ and His Father and made God sovereign in, in our lives there is no power for us to overcome the enemy there is no power there is no power the reason why the son overcame the temptation was his whole life for 30 years he chose a life of submission so that when he was tested passed the test third point by spiritual endowment or empowerment by spiritual endowment so question what was jesus's spiritual endowment we've read Three verses in Luke chapter 4, the Bible tells us in verse 1, and Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 1, uh, 4 verse 14, the Bible says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. In Luke chapter 4, when he opened up the Scripture, turned to the book of Isaiah chapter 61, and he read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me. So what was Jesus' spiritual endowment? Come on, help me preach. Holy Spirit. Jesus' empowerment is the Holy Ghost. That's the reason the Bible commands us to be continually filled, to be always immersing ourselves with the Spirit of God. He was filled with the Spirit and we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. I was just meditating on those verses. Said to my wife on the car coming here, when we open up the scroll of Isaiah, Jesus said, and He has anointed me. But for some of us Christians, we read that a little bit differently. We say, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He has anointed me. <laughs> Are you anointed by the Holy Spirit? No, you might say, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. But I tell you, if every single moment He's saying, come on, still, love your wife, that's being rude. Shut up, Holy Spirit. You don't know what my wife has been... Oh, you have to honor your bosses. 
And not talk behind his talk behind his back or gossip behind his back. Shut up, Holy Spirit. You don't know what my boss has been doing. Or you have got to, to be excellent in your school. This glorifies me. Shut up. And we're always annoyed by the Holy Spirit. Come on, am I preaching to myself or a lot of us were annoyed by Holy Spirit? Because he was trying, he's trying all the time to empower us to live the God first life, but we don't want to hear his voice. And that's why my wife said, and, some, and sometimes we send the Holy Spirit and we ignore him. It, it is true. Because you know, it comes to a point where he keeps speaking to you and you keep ignoring him. And the Bible says that that's when we quench the Holy Spirit. But I pray that all of us would live like Christ. The Holy Ghost is upon me and he has anointed me, not anoint me. Amen? Let's not be annoyed by Holy Spirit. Let's be anointed, be oily, be empowered, be full of the zeal for the Lord's house. And whatever we do, we are energized, empowered. Sometimes I'm a little bit too, too empowered, too energized. I really am. I'm always engaged in very robust discussion. I, you know, I'm full of passion when I talk. Sometimes people thought, Daniel, you're a little bit too... But I feel energized. I love it when, 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 when people usher with passion, when uh, people preach with unction, when worship leaders, come on, we must be... A... Help me preach, church. Can we be an anointed church? Amen. We must be. He, and He anoints me. <laughs> because friends, we must understand that Jesus did not overcome Satan as God. Though he was God and, he's, and he is God, Jesus overcame Satan as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to live an overcoming life, be filled with the Holy Ghost. When He fills you, that's when your eyes see what He sees, your ears hear His voice, your hands become His hands, and your whole being becomes so consumed by the Spirit of God. Where you feel correctly. You are not jealous, envy, upset, but you're full of love and joy. Where you look at people with love, you go out of your way to make people feel love and easier said than done, but it is possible. Amen? Lastly, by Scripture. By Scripture, by the Word of God. And this is the only offensive we weapon that we'll find in Ephesians chapter 6 in the armor of God. And Paul says, put on the full armor. And he said, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, and shoes of the gospel of peace. And finally he says, take up what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we're supposed to wield it against the devil, our adversary. And three times in the story we've read, during the temptation, when Satan came against Jesus, Jesus, the submissive Son of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, took the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word, and ran the devil through with the Word. Not with his own ideas. He didn't say, oh, I think that's a good idea. Oh, no, man, he uses God's word. And three times he said, it is written in verse 4. And then in verse 8, it is written. And then in verse 12, it is written. Cha-cha-cha. <laughs> in his weakened state, he still took the sword. And 
I can just imagine him being one of those gladiators in the Roman time and he was like beaten up all over, fasted for a long time, no more strength and yet when the devil comes, he still took his stand and he thrust those sword into the devil's... Praise God, I love violent movies as you can tell. See friends, we, we, we must learn to unsheath the sword and use it verbally against the devil. Don't just think about it, don't just meditate. When the devil comes... Use it verbally. Amen. That's when you can be verbal. That's when you, you, know, you can speak against. <laughs> Are you familiar with God's word to wield it in, in a fight? See, every good soldier has practice with his weapon. Every good soldier. A number of times we need to go you know, to do zeroing and shooting. All good soldiers. He's trained on his weapon. An archer goes uh, to the archery range. The marksman takes target practice. So question, how often are we thinking about God's Word? Are we in the Word? Are we learning it, asking the Father about it, trying it, testing it, firing at the enemy when he, when he comes our way? How often do we use the Word? How often? See, a lot, a lot of us, I believe, struggle with anger. It's a first world struggle. It is true. Uh, you might be calm and quiet um, with friends, but back home, you're angry. I know many. In my youth ministry days, I thought, how can this person be angry? How can this person struggle with anger? With anger. So when the devil come and said, come on, man, you should be angry at Felicia. Look at her. She forgot her birthday. She didn't do this. She didn't do that. Did that to you. And you say, "Why? Well, it's true. Huh? I should be angry. I should not talk to her. You're going to use the word, James chapter 1, verse 19 and verse 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, must be slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we stop there. But if that's, all you, if that's all you read, it doesn't give you a reason why you should be slow to anger. Because the next part of the verse says, Because of for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. With, in other words, James says it's pointless to be angry. Pointless. You can be angry all you want. It doesn't achieve God's righteousness. What's the point? Save the anger for yourself. When the devil comes and says you should be jealous. Come on, be jealous. Sally, be jealous. Look, pastor talked to everyone else, didn't talk, didn't talk to you, so he must be jealous. Envy, how I wish I'm in inner circle, in the workplace, your boss talks to everyone else. You should be jealous, should be envy. Come on, think, how, to, how do you backstab? How do you step on? All these thoughts start, starts coming. And you said, devil, it is written, Philippians chapter 2 verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or, end or, or vain conceit, rather in humility value others. Above yourself. Haven't you read that, devil? No. Good for you. The devil comes to us and said, God really, God really doesn't care about you. He cares about everyone else but not you. You're forgotten. You're a stepchild. All these thoughts start coming. You have to use the word and say, First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Friends, as long as it's in the word of God, no matter how you feel, it is written. He cares for you. Amen. When you 
have an assignment at the work or uh, in church or when you're asked to do something by your supervisor and you feel, I can't do it, God. I'm just so-and-so. I don't have the qualification. I don't have the experience. You've got to somehow rise up and say, Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by my, not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Come on. The point is this. Use God's word. You must be in the word, pondering the word, meditating the word, asking God to reveal the word to you and, be com- and commit all these verses to your memory. Why? So that in time of battle, you can unsheath the sword and use it against the enemy. Some of us only have a toothpick. The devil come every time you use for God so loved the world. <laughs> Thing, God so loved the world. Thing. Come on, let's move beyond God so loved the world, can we? <laughs> have, have an arsenal of M16 and shotguns, come on. As I close, let's get really practical. When you are tempted with the lust of the flesh and he would come and tempt us, remember the word. Flight. F-L-I-G-H-T. All right? There's a time to fight. There's a time to flee. When the temptation is in the area of the lust of the flesh, the word is flight. Because God does not tell us to fight this kind of temptation. In fact, He said in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22, flee youthful lust. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, He says, flee from sexual immorality. We must flee. Flight. Take flight. Don't fight. Have you read the story of David and Bathsheba? See, David wouldn't have ever given into the temptation of, of his flesh if he had done what Joseph did when Potiphar's wife approached him. David didn't read that story. He forgot. There was no Old Testament. There was no Bible then. He didn't read that story. What did Joseph do? Joseph ran for his life. But what did David do? David lingered and watched. <laughs> then he entertained his lustful thoughts that led him to commit two hideous sins in the flesh, adultery with Bathsheba and murder of her husband, Uriah. Amen. Not good. Fly. Don't fight. Don't, don't stand there trying to, oh, see how long I can tahan this. Uh. Ah, don't. Flee. Amen. But when it comes to fighting the devil, overcoming the devil, the word is Fight. F-I-G-H-T. James 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. First, we submit to God. Then we resist the devil, not in our own strength, but in his strength. And then he will flee. But whenever he comes to us, most of us would say to the devil, Leave me alone, devil. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. You are, you are like, a, Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Don't do that. Don't say, leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. Come on. It's, it's not a cat fight here, right? It's like a real fist fight. The devil cares nothing for your resolutions or good intentions, but he fears the word. He fears the blood. He fears the name. When the devil comes after you, friends, show him the word. Show him the blood. Show him the name. Come on, just use your spiritual weapons against the devil. So when it comes to temptation in the flesh, 
run. Run to your friend. Call your friend up. Run and say, you know what? I really can't take this. Can you pray with me? Can you pray for me? Can you come to my place? Can you... But when it comes to fighting the, 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 the devil, when it comes and say, you can't do it. You're a failure. You are useless. Take the sword. Fight. When it comes and said, you know, when, when, all hell's, when all hell breaks loose in your household, when you know, he's destroying different, like your marriage or destroying your finances, Fight! So as I conclude, Jesus was satisfied in his relationship with with his father. He didn't need to indulge in his passions for possessions, for power, or for his identity. He knew who he was, what he had, where he was going, and that's why he didn't fall. He was so secure in his sonship. So understanding who you are in Christ, and when the devil says, hey, satisfy your passions, you will say, my passions are satisfied in Christ. Then take up the sword. Dismiss him with the living word. I believe this year God wants us to live a life of victory. There's no condemnation, because as I said, we're living in a world where sin is very real. But the good news is Christ has come. He has defeated the enemy. He has empowered us with grace and we can live an overcoming life. We can be like Jesus. We can be victorious. We can, we, we can live a life that's well-pleasing before God. All our thoughts subjected to the thoughts of Christ. All our action. And of course, when we fall, we thank God again for His grace and we say, Father, you, you know my frame. You know how weak I am. Forgive me. And then we pick ourselves up. And Father, right now, empower me. Energize me by your Spirit. Teach me your Word that I can live a victorious life. The vision I, I have for this church is not a church where people are just weak and scrambling through life. Making it to heaven at the skin of our teeth. <laughs> Crawling in all bruised and battered. The vision I have for this church is all of us are victorious, strong, clothed in the armor of God, fluent in the way we use the sword, and we can march in to heaven's gates with confidence, with, with our spoils of souls. We want to see a people of strength. It takes a people who understand how Christ lived a victorious life. What do you want to be? What do you want to be? Amen. Come, let's all stand to our feet. What do you want to be? I don't want to be struggling my whole life, always going under. Thank you, Lord. Let's lift up your hands if you are a Christian and just start engaging the Holy Spirit. You know, I really believe that, to, that this morning God, first of all, you know, just wants to fill us afresh again with the Holy Ghost. I'm committed, friends, as we start off this year to declare over you and to facilitate environment where all of us are soaked in the presence and filled with the Spirit because as I said, it is not by our own mind, it's not by our own strength, but it's by the power of the Holy Ghost.